And once again, good morning. If you're new with us, welcome to Calvary. It's good to see you. We are working our way through the Gospel of John here uh, on Sunday morning. So uh, we started a two-part series last week. And so if you open up to John chapter 4, we will pick it up. The message, uh, this two-part message is entitled Living Water. It's obvious why. If you don't know that, you'll see it in a minute. But let me just start out today's message like we did last week's because I want you to keep that flow in your mind. As we said last week, there are certain drives that God has built into the human body to ensure its health and survival. And the strongest of these is the air drive followed by the water drive, which is then followed by the food drive, the sleep drive, and the sex drive. Now, just as God has given us physical drives to keep our bodies healthy, he's also given us emotional drives, which uh, need to be satisfied if we're going to remain emotionally and psychologically healthy. The first on the list is hope. We can debate the order of the others, but I think it's pretty close to say that hope is followed by the need for love, fellowship, happiness, purpose, and so on. But without a doubt, guys, as we said last week, the greatest need that we have isn't physical or emotional. It's spiritual. You see, there is a thirst deep in the soul of every man and woman to know and connect with God. The psalmist expressed this when he said in Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2, he said, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul after thee, O God, my soul thirsts for the living God. The psalmist has put his finger on something that is very prevalent in our society, but many people are ignorant to what's really going on. You see, many people in our society are thirsting for God. They don't really understand what it is. They just know they're empty, there's a void, and so they try to fill that void and emptiness with material things and or physical relationships, but they don't realize what they really are thirsting for is God and nothing else will satisfy them but Him. Now with that in mind or with that as background, we come this morning to John chapter 4 and the story of a woman who came to a well to satisfy her physical thirst for water only to be made aware of her deepest and most important thirst, her thirst for God. Now, let's just back up to verse 1 and uh, read, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. And so he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Now, as we've already pointed out last time, uh, Sychar is actually ancient Shechem. Uh, you read about Shechem pretty much in the book of Genesis, chapter 33, is one place you'll really find uh, this uh, person who became uh, the founder of a city 
uh, named Shechem. But um, the Jewish day began at 6 a.m. So this being about the sixth hour means it was high noon. Now, in arid countries like Israel, when you get into noon, um, you start getting into the hottest part of the day. Jacob's well was about a half a mile south of Sychar. As we said last time, the fact that this woman came at noon, the hottest part of the day, walking a half a mile, came alone, tells us some things about her. First of all, that she was an outcast. She was an outcast. In that culture, women went to the well early in the morning to get their water for the day because it was cooler, of course. And they came to the city well together because while they're drawing water, they were talking. You know, these ladies worked hard. And so a little break before the rigorous day began or to socialize, that's what they did. So they all came to the well together in the morning and they socialized before they had to go back and then begin to work really hard uh, during the day. The fact that this woman, again, came by herself at noontime, hottest part of the day, alone, um, indicates that she was a social outcast. I mean, some of the other women didn't want to socialize with her, obviously, and apparently she felt the same about them. Why was she an outcast? Well, because she was immoral. She had been married and divorced five times, was now living with a guy out of wedlock, as I said last time, she was probably the town flirt, you know, the uh, loose divorcee. And she uh, probably had broken up a, a few marriages in town. And now the women uh, didn't trust her, didn't want anything to do with her. So she was ostracized. Nobody is uh, co uh, condoning her lifestyle, certainly not the Lord Jesus, okay? But the way she was living was a red flag. It was a symptom, symptomatic of a deeper problem. You see, she was thirsty inside. She didn't know what she was thirsty for. She was empty. Uh, she knew she had this desire, this, this thirst. She thought, like a lot of women think, that that inner thirst could be satisfied with a man. And so she was married and divorced five times, as we said last week. Not even your spouse can, and this is not limited to women, of course. I think it's mostly with regard to women because women are more emotional, more relational. And they think relationships are going to satisfy a lot of emptiness. And they do, uh, pretty much. But the idea was that, um, as we talked last time, not even your spouse can fill that emptiness inside of you. I mean, you know, marriage is an awesome thing. God has created an awesome institution. Uh, he said it's not good that man should live alone, so he gave us wives, and, and it's been a blessing in my life. Being married 40 years this July, and I don't regret a minute of it. Uh, Cindy has been truly a blessing in my life in so many ways, I can't imagine my life without her. But even Cindy, as wonderful a wife as she is, can't satisfy the emptiness inside of me. And, and that emptiness I felt pretty pronounced, I'll talk about that more in a moment, but uh, that emptiness I felt before I was introduced to Christ was pretty pronounced pronounced pretty profound and as Cindy as awesome as she is as a wife she couldn't fill that and no man can fill that ladies in your heart um, and so on today we live in a culture that is empty and is desperately trying to fill that emptiness with listen everything and everyone but God himself and of course 
we have a whole industry built on encouraging that mentality. It's called the advertising industry. And the advertising industry has become very adept at, uh, at uh, teaching us. Unless we have this product or this service, unless we drink this beer, which I don't drink, but we drink this beer or drive this car, we're missing out. We're missing out. And of course, the people that drink the beer or drive the car are always around you know, beautiful women and they're happy and having a great party. You're thinking, well, if I can just drink that beer and drive that car, I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be like this guy. And they, they, you know, they promote that thinking. Of course, we know it's ridiculous, but I bought into it to some degree before I got saved. Maybe you, you did too. So she was empty, okay? I, I don't hold that against her. No, we're not condoning her lifestyle. But it was symptomatic of a deeper problem. Try to look past the outer, guys. Try to look. When you see somebody that's involved in a life like this or something, materialism and all this stuff, don't look down on them. Pray for them. They're just, they're just it's a symptom of, of, a, of an inner uh, emptiness. And so verse 7 Jesus is now sitting by this well. His disciples are not there. So a, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Verse 9. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans? How does she know he was Jewish? Well, because he was wearing the robe of a rabbi. What was that? It had a blue uh, border on the bottom of it. Rabbis wore these. And right away, when somebody, when you walked into a synagogue, and like Paul the Apostle, uh, immediately they knew you were a, a, a rabbi visiting, and they always let you speak. And Paul used that to witness in these synagogues. But Jesus wore the, the, the robe of a rabbi. She knew he was Jewish, okay? And she's taken back because she says, You're asking me for a drink? You, know, you Jews have no dealings with us. Why was that? Well, we talked about that last time. The Jews had a deep-seated animosity towards the Samaritans and would have nothing to do with them. And it goes back centuries and from this point in John's Gospel. And um, they considered these Samaritans half-breeds, a product of intermarriage between Jew and Gentile. And therefore, they saw them as defiled, um, cut off from God's covenant he made with the Jewish people. You can go online, listen to the study from last week. We got into this in detail because we, we felt it was necessary to give you the historical background to fully understand what's going on right here. So I encourage you to do that. But uh, she's taken back. You know, somebody has equated the feelings of the Jewish people to the Samaritans at this point in history the way the whites felt about the blacks in the deep south in our country, you know, 50 or so years ago. Horrible thing, all right? Racism, uh, you know, but this is what was going on. That's why she's so shocked that he would even talk to her, let alone ask her for something. So verse 10, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now, the gift of God that Jesus refers to is himself. 
Going back to John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he what? Gave his only begotten son. That was God's gift to this world. That whoever believes in him, Jesus, would not perish in heaven, would have everlasting life. So Jesus was, of course, the gift of God. He's referring himself to her. When he offers her living water, that's also a reference to himself. You might be thinking, but what exactly does living water mean? I've read that many times. I'm not sure what exactly that means. That's a good question. From a practical standpoint, living water was what the Jewish people called running water, as in a mountain stream or a fresh spring. This was in contrast to pond water or cistern water, which we'll talk about in a moment, or even well water. Remember, they're standing by Jacob's well. Jacob's well uh, was filled by water that percolated up from the ground to fill this well, and then it just sat there, sat there. These kinds of water sources, you know, ponds, uh, cisterns, and these kind of wells um, tended to become stagnant, this water full of algae, bugs, leaves, other debris, not to mention they didn't smell very good. So it was much, so much more preferable and appealing to have a running or a living water source nearby to drink from. However, of course, Jesus is picking up on her physical thirst. Jesus was the master of the evangelistic delivery. So much so, I'm going to devote an entire message to it next time. I mean, you talk about, you want to learn how to evangelize somebody? Let's study how Jesus did it, okay? But he's picking up on her physical thirst for water. And of course, how living water, running fresh water, was so much more preferable to stagnant water. He's picking up on that and he's teaching her, going to teach her about spiritual living water. And how it will quench the thirst in her soul which he didn't know she had but jesus knows he knows everything okay verse 11 the woman said to her sir you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep where then do you get that living water are you greater than our father jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock look in her mind she's thinking that jesus is talking physically to her, offering her physical, literal water. It seems from her comments, water from Jacob's well, that maybe there's water down there that she doesn't know about, special magical water <laughs> that Jesus knows is down there. And, you know, and uh, she has no idea he's just shifted the conversation from physical water to spiritual water. Just like Jesus began to tell Nicodemus about spiritual birth and he's thinking physical birth right chapter 3 beginning of part of chapter 3 um, jesus did this he often met people on the level of the physical and then he began to elevate their thinking to the spiritual but sometimes they didn't catch on real quick and they they still thought he was talking about the physical we'll talk about that more next time so she has no idea he's just shifted the focus from physical water to spiritual living water verse 13 Jesus answered and said to her, "Whoever, you know, this well is deep. You know, you have no bucket. How are you going to give me that living water?" Jesus said to her, "Whoever drinks of this water, no doubt pointing to Jacob's well, will thirst again." 
And guys, as we said last week, Jesus' statement in verse 13 is extremely powerful and profound. It's a statement spoken by the one who made you and me, who knows how we tick, how we're wired, and what will satisfy that longing, which Paul the Apostle said God made every one of us with a God-shaped void in our hearts. A void only God can fill. Again, many people don't realize what the void is. But Jesus knows what will satisfy that longing or emptiness within. And guys, as we said last time, this statement, verse 13, drink of this water, you will thirst again, should be written over every desire and ambition in your life. In other words, the God of the universe, again, the one who made you, is telling you that nothing, listen, nothing this world has to offer in the way of material possessions, accomplishments, successes, or even human relationships will ever satisfy that deep longing in your soul. Only a relationship with Jesus Christ can do that. You remember what God said to the prophet Isaiah? You don't have to turn there. It comes out of Isaiah 55, 1 to 3. Where God said, Ho, oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters and drink. Why do you spend your money for, for what, what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? It sounds like an American he's talking to there. You know? And the waters he's talking about are not physical waters. He's likening himself to the living water. Of course, God is the living water. It's probably the Lord Jesus Christ speaking through the Spirit here in this passage. But God is saying, look, why are you running around like crazy people, spending your money uh, on all kinds of things, trying to fill that emptiness, and it never satisfies you? He said at the end in verse 3, incline your ear, listen up, and come to me. I'm the one who can satisfy that emptiness inside. I'm the only one. As we said last week, guys, there's always going to be the when-then person. When I you know, acquire this or achieve that, then I'm going to be happy, then I will be satisfied. And Jesus is telling us here that that is one of the biggest lies the devil has ever fed the human race. But most of us have bought into it at one time or another. The lie is this, a little more riches, a little more material things, and I'll be happy. Paul called it the deceitfulness of riches. Because money, the devil can use it to deceive you into thinking if you just had enough of it, you'd be happy. I've mentioned John Rockefeller numerous times when we talk about this. Rockefeller was a, was a multimillionaire at a time when that really meant something. But he worked like 18 hours a day, never slowed down making more and more money and you know, working himself into an early grave. He was so wealthy, I mean, hard to imagine back then. A reporter asked him one day, Mr. Rockefeller, how much is enough? How much money is enough? He said, just a little more. That's the deceitfulness of riches. I have millions and millions and millions, and yet I just need a little more to be really happy. Well, we've looked at the, a thirsty soul. And that, of course, leads us directly into the next main point of satisfying Savior. So again, verse 13, Jesus said, Whoever drinks of this water 
will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. As I said earlier, the living water that Jesus was offering her was himself. And whoever drinks in Christ, and by that we mean receives him into their heart by faith. That's what Jesus meant, you drink me in. Well, that's just opening your heart and receiving him in by faith. When you do that, you receive Jesus, of course, in the person of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit comes inside. You, you partake of Jesus' fullness, Jesus' life. And when that happens, you never thirst again for the things of this world. Now, I can't speak for any of you guys. I can just speak for myself. And I've, I t- told you uh, last week or the week before, you know, as a young guy, unsaved, I, you know, I, I really wanted to go out there and get, uh, you know, uh, I wanted to start a business. I wanted to make a lot of money. I wanted to have nice things and so on. And that was what drove me. It drives a lot of people, especially young people, all right? And so, you know, not realizing what I was really thirsting for uh, was God. I just knew that I wanted stuff because stuff was going to make me happy, satisfied. And you do that for a while, and I had, you know, a Corvette, a motorcycle, and I had nice clothes, and I bought a house, and I had jewelry. I like to wear pinky rings, diamond pinky, can you imagine Pastor Phil, with diamond pinky rings back then? When I got saved, I literally gave that stuff away. I didn't sell it. I just gave it away, okay? Gave it away. You know, the motorcycles and the Corvettes and all that stuff. You know why I didn't need them? I didn't need them anymore. Because Jesus had come into my heart and he satisfied me. It's, you know, unless you've experienced it, it's hard for me to communicate to you what I'm talking about. It's a supernatural thing. I mean, the Lord comes in and all of a sudden, you know, what did he say? You know, in Psalm 23, what did the psalmist say? He said, you make me to lie down in what? Green pastures. The only way a sheep would lie down surrounded by green pastures is if they were what? satisfied I, it just the things of this world didn't really you know, i like nice things i don't obsess over them anymore i don't have to have them god bless me with something nice thank you lord I, but i don't have to have it paul said i've learned in whatever state i can i find myself full stomach empty stomach whatever to be content so when jesus fills you he just let me just say this to you he doesn't just fill you with his presence, his spirit. He overflows you. Remember what David said in Psalm 23, verse 5? My cup runs over. Jesus put it this way later in John's Gospel, chapter 7. When he said in verses 37 and 8, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And out of his innermost being will flow torrents of living water. And then John, writing 60 years after the fact, puts his little comment in there. This he spoke of the Holy Spirit. When you receive Christ, the Spirit of God comes in you. But you know how God works? It's never just, he just barely fills us. Because God is abundant, he overflows us. Not only do you have plenty of the life of the Spirit in you, 
to be joyful and happy. It runs over, so it, it spills onto others around you. That's the idea. People should be getting saved without you even saying a word just because of the joy you have and just because of the peace you have. When you go out into the world, you might not even realize it. You might be thinking, no, oh, I'm kind of stressed today. But you know what? There is a calm demeanor that the world can see that often we are not, we don't even understand is there. And it shows up when we go through a trial or whatever, and we're not, you know, our face is not contorted with worry and stress. We're just giving it to the Lord. It's interesting, the expression Jesus said in verse 14, when a person drinks this living water, it will, it will spring up, right? Spring up. That comes from the Greek word halamai, the same word, listen, used of the man who had been lame from his mother's womb. So from birth, he had been lame. Every day he was taken to the beautiful gate in the temple as he got older. Because in those days, there were no social programs. You, you survived by the generosity, uh, by the, 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 the donations, the alms that others would give you. Because you were crippled, you couldn't walk, you couldn't work. Every day... This man was laid by the, uh, the gate of the temple, Solomon's gate. He couldn't go into the temple. He couldn't have fellowship with God because he was lame. In the Old Testament, God talked about this. People with, uh, with these handicaps could not come into the worship of God. You say, well, that's horrible. God was communicating a principle. And when this guy, the Holy Spirit heals this guy, through the Apostle Peter, right? It says he jumped up and he began to run and leap into the temple. Wow. Do you see what the Holy Spirit's doing? In Adam, we were all born crippled. We couldn't walk with God because of the fall. We were outside the fellowship of God, outside the worship of God. We may have gone to church. We may have sang, sung songs. But you weren't really connecting to God. We'll talk about that in a couple weeks. We talk about true worship. But then Jesus came and he healed us. Peter would go on to say, as, as the crowd gathered, he said, don't look at me. I didn't heal this guy. You see this man whole because of Jesus, what he did. Somebody introduced us to Christ. We, we received Jesus and we stood for the first time in our lives, spiritually speaking, we were now healed. We could walk with God. And it produced a life of joy, leaping joy. Now, maybe you have never leaped around your house joyful. That's okay. A lot of people aren't outward leapers or inward leapers. I have no problem with that. You know, leap in your heart, that's good. In fact, please leap in your heart when you're in the sanctuary. Don't start leaping and running around. We don't, it's too distracting for us. Um, but the point is, it's a, when Jesus fills a heart, wow. I mean, and again, you have to experience what I'm talking about. It doesn't mean we don't ever have a bad day again, but the joy is always there. And, and wow, it just, it, it just manifests itself in a, and your heart is just leaping for joy because you, you have purpose. And, and now you don't need the junk of the world to be satisfied. You got Jesus in your heart. Verse 14, once again, Jesus said, But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. 
But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up, listen, into everlasting life. Guys, that means that the blessings and benefits of the water, <laughs> Jesus, which Jesus gives, are not limited to the earth. They are going to go on forever. Eternal life. You know, it's important to note something in the Greek that doesn't come through in the English. When Jesus said in verse 13, whoever drinks, underline that, of this water will thirst again, the Greek means a continual, habitual drinking. Whereas in verse 14, when Jesus said, but whoever drinks the water that I shall give him will never thirst again, the Greek means to drink once. In verse 13, the idea that Jesus is communicating is this. Just as a person can't take just one drink of water and never thirst or need to drink again, well, so it is with every other thing of the world that people try to use to satisfy the thirst in their soul. They keep drinking and drinking of material possessions and physical relationships and partying and sex and whatever. They keep drinking, but they're never satisfied. They keep thirsting for more. Whereas in verse 14, Jesus is saying that whoever drinks once of the water that I give will never thirst again. Of course, the context is salvation. We only need to drink of Jesus once for salvation. You don't have to turn there, but Isaiah 12, verse 3, it says, With joy you will drink deeply from the fountain of salvation. Again, once you drink of Christ, once you receive him into your heart and are born again, you're satisfied. You're satisfied. You're not thirsting for anything. You know, honestly, I have lived all of my married life in the same little townhouse. I bought it six months before we got married. We've lived there ever since. 1,300 square feet, little townhouse. Some of you have been there. You know, you've seen it. You know what, you, I, I, you know, that little townhouse, I've raised my three children. Cindy and I have been married and have lived there for all that time, 40 years. Um, you know what, I visit people and they have much bigger, beautiful houses, and that's wonderful. I'm not, I'm not putting that down. I'm just saying, I, I come back to my little house, and you know what, a place where I have so much love, so many memories. A cozy little place, big enough for Cindy and I now, the kids are gone. I'm satisfied. I don't really crave, you know, a big house or a fancy car or some of the other things people have. I, 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 can, I, can, um, I can praise God that you have it, and I'm glad you're being blessed. But I just, I don't, it's not something I'm, I'm working for, uh, craving, striving after. That doesn't mean once we drink of Jesus, we don't need to keep drinking of him every day for fellowship, staying in the word and prayer. That's, you know, important. But we only need to drink of him once for salvation. Now, getting back to this woman. She thought that Jesus was offering her fresh spring water of some kind, living water, uh, instead of this stagnant well water. Again, I think she thought it was kind of like a magic water that would quench her thirst forever. So she says in verse 15, she says, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come back here to draw. Hey, whatever this, this living magic water is, I want it. If it's going to make my life easier, where well, I don't have to come to this rotten well every day, half a mile walk in the heat of the day to get water, 
If this is going to make my life easier, I want it. And th this is the problem. Many people are drawn to Jesus because they think he is offering them an easier life or even a problem-free life. And guys, nothing could be farther from the truth. God never promises us a problem-free problem life when we come to Christ. In fact, in some ways, the, it gets tougher because now the devil's against us. He's attacking, right? God never promises us a problem-free life. What he does promise us is a life that will be satisfied within, a life based on him. This is what he wanted to do for this woman. She had a thirst in her soul, and Jesus was all about trying to satisfy that inner thirst, all about bringing people to him. Just like he's inviting everyone who is thirsty in their soul to come to him and drink. I'll give you two scriptures out of Revelation. Revelation 21, verse 6. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. Again, talking to, about himself. Revelation 22, 17. Let anyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. It's an invitation for anyone. He's not saying, you know, church people can come only or good people, whatever that means, okay? He's saying anyone who thirsts come. Now, we've seen a thirsty soul, a satisfying Savior. Let me give you one more main point. We'll close. This one I've called a broken cistern. A thirsty soul, a satisfying Savior, a broken sister. A cistern. For this one, I'm going to leave John and I want to read to you out of Jeremiah 2, because this is like a, uh, uh, an appendix or just, a, it's just something else that we've added on that would uh, amplify something that Jesus brought up. But in Jeremiah 2, verse 13, God says of his people, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. Now again, in the Jewish mind, living water meant running water. And it was always more desirable to build your house near a pure water source, like a stream or a river or a spring. But if you couldn't find one of those on your property, then you'd have to dig for yourself a cistern. A cistern. Now these cisterns were just underground holding tanks. And they would dig them out of the limestone, which is a softer stone. Of course, it was all done by hand. Depending on how big you wanted to make this thing would depend on how long it would take you. Now, uh, I have seen pictures that were taken from the Mount of Olives, where all these gardens were, right? You need a lot of water to water all these, uh, all these trees and things. And they found uh, several of these cisterns. They had a picture of one. There was a guy on a ladder... It, had, it went from the surface down to the bottom of this thing. It must have been 20 feet. And, a tw and 20 feet wide. And, and they just had these giant cisterns if you had a lot of uh, flowers and a lot of trees that needed to be uh, watered. But I think for a family, a typical family of five or six, seven, whatever, um, you know, a, a, a kind of a small cistern would do, but even then it would take you maybe, you know, seven, eight months, maybe a year, maybe more, depending on how big your family was, to carve this thing again by hand out of the limestone, this underground holding tank. And imagine spending a year or two carving your cistern. 
And then finally, the day comes when it's finished. That's exciting. So now what you have to do is you have to carve channels above ground that will funnel the water into the opening of your cistern. So you get that all done. And now you wait for rain. It's exciting, you know? You're working on this thing for, you know, maybe a couple of years. And I can't wait for it to rain. And all of a sudden, here come the rains. Okay, right? And you see the water running into the mouth of your cistern. You hear it hitting the bottom, splashing. You think, oh, this is great. You go to bed. Next morning, you get up early. You got to go to your cistern, get yourself a drink of cold water. You lower the bucket in, and you hear it hit the bottom, and there's no splashing noise. It's empty. Immediately, they knew what had happened. They had inadvertently carved this cistern over, listen, a small crack in the limestone. It was, it was, it happened. A small crack in the limestone. And so it was a broken cistern that could hold no water. So what did you do? What do you do? Is it, is it, was all that time and energy wasted? No, they were pretty resourceful people. You know what they did? They carved steps down the side of this thing so you could walk down into it. And then once down into it, they carved shelves in the walls. And they used the thing to bury their dead. It became a tomb. Because, you know, it couldn't provide life, water. So the only thing it was good for, the only thing it could hold was death. It's interesting. Of course, God wasn't speaking here in Jeremiah of literal fountains and cisterns. He was using these things as metaphors for spiritual life that results when a person drinks in God's truth, the living water. But also, the spiritual, it represented spiritual death that results when a person rejects God, God's living water, his truth, and ultimately his son, we know that, and instead embraces the devil's lies. Guys, a broken cistern in this context. And that's what he's using something literal to, to teach a spiritual truth. A broken cistern, and we're talking about Jeremiah 2, in this context refers to, listen, any belief system you carve out for yourself that you believe holds life for you other than God. So today we would say, you know, anybody who, you know, humanism, naturalism, everything came about through natural processes without any supernatural intervention from any deity, naturalism, hedonism, materialism, communism, spiritism. There's a lot of isms floating around out there. There's a lot of ideologies that people are putting their faith in. These things they, they look at to explain life, to give meaning to their life. They try to drink from these broken philosophies and ideological, uh, ideological cisterns. But listen, they're empty. They cannot impart life, and the reason is because they are broken cisterns which can hold no water, only death. Because they only contain dead ideologies and dead belief systems. So not only will they not bring you life, they will rob you of the living water God wants to give you, which is eternal life. And if a person doesn't repent of these broken ideologies and belief systems and receive Jesus before they die, well, these broken cisterns will actually launch them into a Christless eternity in hell. 
Now look, and we're done. Sometimes even Christians can feel dry. You ever feel like a dry well? As a pastor, I have. Because I have to come up here and give you guys living water, God's truth, right? Sometimes I feel like a dry well. And I pray, Lord, I can't, you know, I, I feel so dry right now. Lord, please intervene. Okay, please speak that people would be quenched in their spirit. They would be fed on your word. And he does. He does. But sometimes we feel dry. Guys, the answer, listen, is not to go back to the old watering holes. It's not to go back to the polluted wells of the world that we drank from before we got saved. They only made us sick. The answer is not to go back to Egypt like Israel wanted to do in the wilderness when things got tough. The answer, dig deeper in your walk with Jesus. Sink your roots deeper into the truths of God's word. Psalm 1, the believer is like a tree planted by the rivers living water, by the rivers of water, right? And they, the, their leaves shall not wither and they will bring forth fruit continually. And if a tree literally is planted by a river bank and it's not getting enough moisture, it sinks its roots deeper and begins to draw from the moisture in that river. That's what we have to do. You feel dry? You sink, you go deeper in God's word? You sink your roots deeper into the truths of God? You don't go back to the world. The world's got nothing you need. The world has nothing we are going to benefit from. You go to God's word, you sink your roots deeper into the word of God, into Jesus. And guys, I'll just end with this. Sometimes God allows us to become dry. <laughs> As a prelude to a fresh outpouring of his spirit in our lives. Remember what it says in Isaiah 44 verse 3. God said, I will pour my spirit on him or her who is thirsty like water upon the dry ground. Sometimes God lets us get thirsty to drive us to our knees and say, God, please, I need revival. I'm scared of the way I'm feeling, Lord. I feel dead inside spiritually. I don't want to be this way, Lord. I don't want to go back to the world. Lord, I need revival. I need you to refresh me. And God says, very good. I will pour out my spirit upon you in a deeper and more powerful way, this drought I use to bring you to the next level. That's where you are. Don't waste it. Don't go back to the world. Nothing there for you. Get on your knees and say, God, I need revival. And let God pour his spirit into you like water upon the dry ground. Amen? All right. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the truths that you have given us in this chapter. Father, in some ways, this lady is a representative of many who are empty, who are looking to fill an inner void with material things. Give us grace, Lord, not to go there just pray you continue to draw us closer to you, Lord, that we might 
get to know you even more, more deeply, that our roots would sink more deeply into the truths of your word, that living water that brings fruitfulness and, uh, and life. So we thank you, Lord. Father, we ask you to continue to bless these studies in your word. We ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.